Hello everyone and welcome to Exploring Middle Earth, aka the Middle Earth Podcast as we decided last week. And welcome, uh, come one, come all PILFs. Oh, PILFs, yes. As our fans, <laughs> fans are now called. What it, What was it abbreviated for? People I love fairly. People I love fairly. People I love freely, for real. For real, yeah. Um, also, I want to apologize. My voice went out. It just went out. It Hasn't left. come back yet? Um, no, but it's it's kind of recovering, so it's a little raspy. But I've also been recovering from a cold on this podcast before, and I think my voice has sounded worse. So I yeah. think we should be okay. Because last week I had a stuffy nose, and now this week Grant has yeah. raspy voice. <clears throat> We're just going through the motions of podcasting. Yeah, it's you know it's all about uh, you know kind of uh, ups and downs, hills and valleys, mm-hmm. those sort of things. So um, just bear with us. And if you don't like bears. Bears. Bear down. I don't know. Anyways, okay, yeah. So today we're kind of veering a little bit. Um, (laughs) If you're in a car listening to this, don't veer veer along with us. Unless the road calls for it. Calls for it. Yeah, if there's a curve. Um, But we're veering off a little bit from our regular Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, that sort of whole thing. And we're going to do... Um, this episode on a short story that was written by Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Yes. And a disclaimer, yes, it is Niggle. N-I-G-G-L-E. N-I-G-G-L-E. Niggle. No matter what you hear <laughs> or what you think you hear that we are saying, it is always Niggle. Okay? Yeah. I just wanted to put that out there. Well, let's... You can let never be too cautious. Let me, you know, t- let me tell them what it means. I think my wife just turned around. <laughs> she, she forgot something, apparently. I think it's... Cause, yeah. Yeah. She heard us say niggle. <laughs> <laughs> she's coming to yell. Yeah, she's going to yell at us. Okay. What were you saying, man? So, n- the, the word niggle, which is also the name of the main character in the story... Yes. It has two meanings. It means to spend too much effort on minor details, um, which is a character trait of niggle. Yeah. And it also means... To cause slight but persistent annoyance, discomfort, or anxiety, which is also something that happens with Niggle. He gets niggled, uh, which means he gets annoyed. And he is a niggler. He yes. spends too much time on minor details. So it's very fitting for him. And you'll see as we explain the story, because we're going to do a summary of the story and then a short summary and then go into three s- different approaches, I guess, viewpoints of the story, ways yeah. to read the story. Yeah. So, um,. Leaf by Niggle is a short story, like I was saying. You can, um, I think it is in its own sort of separate book thing, but it's also in its uh, in Tales from the Perilous Realm by Tolkien, which has a yes. bunch of other fairy stories, and it's like uh, I think the last story in there. But anyways, um, it was first written in 1942, um, and it was officially published in 1945 by the uh, Dublin Review. Dublin. By the Dublin Review. I don't know if that was correct, but um, I believe, I mean, it was published in 1945, and I believe it was what ended the war. Um, <laughs> I think Hitler read it, and I think he realized he was being a niggler. So he shot himself? <laughs> he shot himself. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think just kind of that per- puts the whole thing into perspective. It had a massive impact on history. Um, mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind when we're talking about it. Yes. So I'll kind of do the uh, first half of the uh, summary of Leaf by Niggle. Sounds good. So Niggle is an artist um, in this kind of society. Well, I don't know. It might be based off England, uh, kind of like a 
um, post-industrial revolution England or something like that. Um, and it, uh, so he's an artist who is obsessed with painting because he just loves the beauty of it and he loves to be able to create. Um, and he pretty much does it just to please himself. And he thinks it's great. He thinks it's lovely. He thinks it's a gift to everyone. Mm -hmm. But the society in which he lives does not think his art is very useful um, because they view those sort of pleasures as they're just kind of like an afterthought. You know, Mm -hmm. they focus more on like, how can you help society? Like if you're just painting art all day or like pictures all day, um, what are you actually like? Are you actually helping anyone? Are you helping your neighbors out? Do you like, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so everyone around him, including his neighbor kind of wishes he would be more, uh, kind of attentive to, um, pretty much anything else other than his paintings. So, um, Niggle was, uh, while reluctantly very helpful, helpful, uh, person. And we see that a lot in the uh, short story. Um, and he did help his neighbor parish, uh, that's his name, uh, mm-hmm. who was a gardener and his wife <clears throat> and Niggle's sort of life goal was to create the most beautiful work of art that anyone would appreciate. And it kind of started off just as a picture of a leaf and he got so detailed with it, all the little minute details in the leaf like all the little veins and stuff and little edges that he started creating another leaf and another leaf and then eventually it became a branch and then eventually a tree and that sort of thing and there was like little um, mountains and hills peeking through the branches and more forests and little flowers and stuff like that and he basically took his shed and he kind of converted it into an art studio and he put all these canvases of all the little paintings that he was doing up on the wall and he would just spend all of his days painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was being a straight up niggler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, all the while, uh, there's a nagging uh, feeling at the back of Niggle's mind that there is a trip he must take and that that is not something to be put off or procrastinated. Um, <clears throat> and so that's just kind of like a sense of foreboding that he has. And mm-hmm. he, sort, he sometimes feels that... Um, his painting is getting in the way of preparing for the trip, but then he also wants to just paint. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So then, uh, one day Niggle took time off of his work to fix a leaky roof for parish and to take care of a sick wife. It was a like very rainy and windy. Um, and I guess they're like a hole got knocked in the roof and his wife got sick, all that sort of stuff. And parish was lame and he wasn't able to fetch a doctor for his wife or a builder to fix the roof. Um, so Niggle took his bike in the rain to go get a doctor and it turns out Parrish's wife was hardly sick and she recovered quickly, but because Niggle was out in the rain, um, he caught a bad illness and he was forced to relax on his painting, not on his painting, but like relax the work to yeah, his painting. stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, working on to it. recover. Um, but then when he finally feels better, he starts working on it again. Um, and uh, but unfortunately, that was the same day that Niggle had to take the foreboding trip th- um, that he was ill prepared for um, because he was so obsessed with his painting. Um, so that's where I will leave my half of the summary and Jay will pick up. Yeah. So um, he is uh, just waking up and he's feeling um, or he is sick. Um, but an inspector comes and, uh, 
is uh, scorning him and telling him that he should, um, that the house has come first um, and that he should um, not have been working on his painting so much. And he's like, what the heck? And then a driver comes and the driver says, baby driver. (laughs) Yeah. Baby driver comes and says, it's time to go. And Niggle is uh, like, well, I have to pack. And he goes, "Uh, you can't pack. You, we have to go. Hurry up. So, yeah, so Niggle was not able to pack, and he has to go on his journey. Um, And so he was taken by the driver to a train, and then Niggle gets on the train, and he is tired and falls asleep. And when he wakes up, or he's woken up by the porter shouting his name. The train has stopped, and he's shouting his name. So he gets off the train, and he faints, and then is taken into a workhouse infirmary. It's like a hospital-type thing. Um, And... uh he has to do some work there um and instead of just i'm just going to read from the story because it'll make it's easier to explain it uh so this is uh from the short story it says he had to work hard at stated hours at digging carpentry and painting bare boards all one plain color he was never allowed outside and the windows all looked inward they kept him in the dark for hours for hours at a stretch to do some thinking they said um, so he had to do all this work, uh, and it was like mundane work, like digging and carpentry and then painting bare boards, all one plain color, which is like the opposite of what he was doing. Yeah. Instead of painting a picture, he's literally just painting walls, one color. So after a long while of feeling bad for himself in this infirmary, he starts to get satisfaction from his work and, um, it becomes, uh, it's instead of something that he dreads it's more of that he uh i wouldn't say he's getting pleasure from it but he's not dreading what he has to do and he's learning to be content with uh, his situation um so then after that one day the doctor comes and prescribes him complete rest in the dark and while niggles at rest he hears two voices discussing his case um and after a little discussion one of the voices uh starts talking to niggle and Niggle talks, or Niggle asks about Parrish and his neighbor and how Parrish is doing. Um, and it's just like a shift in his, uh, I mean, I'll talk about this later, but it's a shift in his um, priorities because he's no longer thinking about his painting and himself, but he's thinking about Parrish and his neighbors. So the voices decide that Niggle is ready to move on to the next phase, which is the phase of gentle treatment. And so Niggle's excited to go there because it sounds a lot better than his what or the situation he's in now. So when so he gets on a train and goes there and he gets some bread and wine. Nice. And Good meal. Yeah. Um and once he gets there he gets off the train and uh he asks where he is and the porter says there's no name for this place. And uh Niggle finds a bike with his name on it, uh, like on a tag. So he gets on the bike and rides it, uh and he eventually falls off because he sees a tree and he finds out that this is the tree he was painting, the tree he had been imagining, but it's complete. Um, and then around the tree, there's an entire forest. Um, so Niggle starts to explore um, and he's walking around exploring and he realizes that there's some things that still need to be worked on and finished, but he realizes that he can't do it by himself. So he decides that he needs Parrish's help um, and eventually Parrish uh, shows up and him and Niggle start working together um, on the place they're at 
and uh, they, uh, I can't remember exactly, or it doesn't really say exactly how long, but it was a while, and uh, Parrish uh, mentions that they should be done by the next day, um, and then the next morning, a uh, a guide comes and offers them to take them the rest of the way on their journey to these, because um, there's the forest, and then at the very distance, there's uh, mountain peaks, um, and which is the end of the uh, place that they're in. Um, so uh, the guide offers to take them to the rest of the way on their journey to those mountains. And uh, Parrish wants to stay back to wait for his wife to come so he can uh, enjoy the the world that they're in with her and show her around. Um, but Niggle decides to go. Um, and then, so Niggle takes off with the guide and then it cuts to three people back on earth uh talking uh let me find their names there it's counselor Tompkins, uh schoolmaster atkins and then perkins um they're all talking and uh they talk about niggle and his painting and they discuss how niggle did not really benefit society from their point of view and what they would have done if they were in power how they would have put him to work um, and helped him become pretty much just a cog in the machine. Yeah. So then the story ends um, with one of the three people saving a leaf uh, because they took his canvas and started using it to patch up the roofs and stuff. Uh, so, But they saved a little corner of th- uh, the leaf that one of the leaves that Nickel was painting and they put it up in the town museum. And then eventually the museum burns and Niggle and his leaf are forgotten forever on Earth. Uh, but then the two... It's pretty sad. Yeah, it is sad. But on the bright side, the two voices discuss um, how beneficial uh, the place Niggle and Parish created it and it's named Niggle's Parish. Um, and how beneficial it's been to them and how they send many people there for recovery. Yeah. And then that's the end of the story. So... We're going to do three sections. Grant's going to start off with, uh, there were three different readings of the story. The biography, then I'll do allegory, and then we'll both do art versus utilitarianism. 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 Whatever. Uh, But Grant, take it away. Yeah, no. (laughs) No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my voice (laughs) went out a little bit there. That's okay. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about Leaf by Niggle kind of as an uh, autobiography of Tolkien. Mm -hmm. Um, In a letter to Caroline Everett in June of 1957, uh, Tolkien writes, I'm not going to do this in accent. It's okay, Grant. I should say that in addition to my tree love, it was originally called the tree, as he was talking about the story, um, it arose from my own preoccupation with the Lord of the Rings, the knowledge that it would be finished in great detail or not at all, and the fear nor near certainty that it would be not at all. The war had arisen to darken all horizons, but no such analyses are a complete explanation even of a short story. So what he was basically talking about is World War II was happening while he was writing it. And when he was writing Lord of the Rings, um, he began writing Lord of the Rings in 1937, but he didn't publish them until 1954. So -hmm. he was technically writing um, uh, Lord of the Rings at the same time as he was writing Leaf by Niggle. And so Leaf by Niggle is kind of like uh, an expression that he 
felt like he wasn't going to complete the Lord of the Rings in the way he wanted to, or that he had to complete it with great detail or else it yeah. would kind of feel incomplete. Um, and then of course, like he was talking about the war had arisen to darken all horizons. So he was unsure if he was even going to make it out, if the war was going to reach, you know, uh, great Britain and, you know, he was his, he and his work would be lost forever. That sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, the, the picture of the leaf at the very end and how they, uh, the museum gets burned down at the end and it's lost forever. Yeah. So that's kind of like a fear of his, um, yeah, so uh and then like it was like he was saying uh his tree love um mm-hmm. uh Tolkien had always been a great admirer of trees and he considered himself an advocate for them in all matters. And there is a quote from uh J.R.R. Tolkien a biography and it says during the first year of the boy's life Arthur Tolkien made a small grove of cypresses, firs and cedars. Perhaps this had something to do with the deep love of trees that would develop in Ronald. So I think Arthur is his father. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, I guess he planted some cypresses, firs, and cedars, and Tolkien had always kind of had a fondness for trees and for um, kind of walking amongst them. And um, Leaf by Niggle, not only is it about a tree or like a leaf, and at the end he does see the tree and walks among them. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff about trees in Tolkien's other writings. Like he pays a special detail to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, he's always been an advocate for trees. So I'm going to read um, a little passage from the two towers. Um, that kind of shows how in detail he really was about trees. Sounds good. And I'll, I'll, I'll note something. So, let's see, here we go. Okay, so this is uh, in the chapter of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit. Day was opening in the sky, and they saw that the mountains were now much further off, receding eastward in a long curve that was lost in the distance. Before them, as they turned west, gentle slopes ran down into dim hazes far below. All about them were small woods of resinous trees, fir and cedar and cypress, and other kinds unknown in the shire, with wide glades among them and everywhere there was a wealth of sweet-smelling herbs and shrubs. The long journey from Rivendell had brought them far south of their own land, but not until now in this more sheltered region had the hobbits felt the change of clime. Here spring was already busy about them. Fronds pierced moss and mold. Larches were green-fingered. Small flowers were opening in the turf. Birds were singing. Athelion, the garden of Gondor, now desolate, kept but still a disheveled dryad loveliness. So that's just a little passage. If you keep reading that chapter of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit, um, like the next five or six paragraphs are all about plants and trees in mm-hmm. Athelion. So it w- it's very obvious that Tolkien kind of imagined himself walking in the trees in the wilderness and stuff as yeah. he, um, you know, as he wrote. So, um, oh, geez, I just knocked my mic down a little bit. That's okay, Grant. So I do want to note, how it says um, the the first trees that he mentioned in that chapter were firs, cypresses, and um, what was the other one? Cedars. And in the biography quote that I just read, his father, Arthur, made a small grove of cypresses, firs, and cedars. So they're the same exact trees yeah. that his father planted. So they, they definitely played a big part uh, in his childhood and his uh, life growing up. Um, <clears throat> so... 
There was a tree, a black pine to be exact, that was Tolkien's favorite tree of all time. It was tall and thick and gnarly, and Tolkien held it in high esteem. Gnarly. Yeah. (laughs) It was located at the Botanic Garden in Oxford, and its name was, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Laocoon. It's a weird, it looks like it's a mixture of raccoon and louse, like the Mm. country louse. Don't ask me how to pronounce it, because it'll be wrong. Or it's Leocoon, I don't know. It's kind of weird looking. Um, In the very last known photograph of Tolkien, taken in August of 1973, he is pictured next to his favorite tree. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, So the tree was supposed to have been planted at the garden um, at Oxford in 1799 and would thus be 215 years old by the time it collapsed in 2014. Wow. in letter 163 to W.H. Auden in June of 1955, Tolkien writes, oh, by the way, this is a switch. I'm done talking about Lacoon. Okay. Um, I'm talking about trees, though. Okay, okay. Sorry, I should have made that more obvious. But in this letter, uh, Tolkien writes, um, take the ends, for instance. I did not consciously invent them at all. The chapter called Treebeard, from Treebeard's first remark on page 66, was written off more or less as it stands, with an effect on myself, except for labor pains, almost like reading someone else's work. And I like Ents now because they do not seem to have anything to do with me. I dare say something has been going on in the unconscious for some time, and that accounts for my feeling throughout, especially when stuck, that I was not inventing but reporting imperfectly and had at times to wait till what really happened came through. But looking back analytically, I should say that Ents are composed of philology, literature, and life. They owe their name to the Eild Entha Geowark of Anglo-Saxon and their connection with stone. Their part in the story is due, I think, to my bitter disappointment and disgust from school days with the shabby use made in Shakespeare of the coming of the great Burnham Wood to High Dunsinane Hill. I long to devise a setting in which the trees might really march to war. Yeah. And then, so kind of, we we talked about that Shakespeare thing in an episode, yeah, with the, his inspirations. Uh, if inspiration you want to check that yeah. out, um, and so kind of bouncing off of, um, he wanted like he was an advocate for trees, and so the Ents were kind of part of that, as they were the shepherds of the trees and they would protect the trees. So that was kind of a little bit about him as well, yeah. but also um, the part where he talks about how he. Um, he was not inventing the story, but reporting at sometimes imperfectly. And he had to wait till what really happened came through before he wrote it. Um, it kind of connects with, uh, uh, when Niggle arrives in the land, which is later called Niggle's parish. And he sees his tree that he had been painting, but upon searching it through and through, he realizes it's not the tree as it was in his painting, but the tree as it was in his vision, um, like in its most complete form, like as it was finished. And uh, Niggle discovers that there are even more branches and detailed leaves, and uh, even the birds are in the branches building nests and singing. And uh, this, um, like, basically reflects how Tolkien thought of his Middle Earth legendarium that he kind of had a vision, or um, uh, like he was reporting on like a lost English mythology or history. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of the more he searched it, or the more he, I guess, thought about it, the more he wrote on it. Like he was just like, it was like a book report, basically. Like yeah. someone told him an oral story about it and then he would write it down, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, um, it kind of all connects to that, uh, um, 
what was I trying to say? It it all connects to Tolkien's life a little bit with especially with trees and um uh kind of the Middle Earth as a whole. Yeah. Basically. And then I do have another passage, but this one is in Leaf by Niggle and it's I think yeah. like just But a yeah, page. like Jeez, the I'm kitten everything. The Niggle cre Niggle's <laughs> creation of the oh. the painting and everything is kind of like Tolkien's creation of Middle Earth. Yeah. The painting is his Middle Earth. Wait. Middle Earth is his painting. Okay, one day, Niggle stood a little way off from his picture and considered it with unusual attention and detachment. He could not make up his mind what he thought about it and wished he had some friend who would tell him what to think. Actually, it seemed to him wholly unsatisfactory and yet very lovely, the only really beautiful picture in the world. What he would have liked at that moment would have been to see himself walk in and slap him on the back and say, with obvious sincerity, absolutely magnificent. I see exactly what you're getting at. Do get on with it and don't bother about anything else. We will arrange for a public pension so that you need not. However, there was no public pension and one thing he could see. It would need some concentration, some work, hard interrupted work to finish the picture, even at its present size. He rolled up his sleeves and began to concentrate. He tried for several days not to bother about other things, but there came a tremendous crop of interruptions. Things went wrong in his house. He had to go and serve on a jury in the town. A distant friend fell ill. Mr. Parrish was laid up with lumbago, and visitors kept on coming. So that passage is also kind of a reflection of Tolkien's life as he was writing Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion. There was World War One, World War Two. Um, and I think I didn't write it down that, oh, that was one thing that I was going to look up, but I forgot, but there's like numerous other things that happened in Tolkien's life, you know, like the birth of his children and he was a professor at Oxford. So he obviously he had teaching duties. Um, mm -hmm. all these things were kind of like interruptions and distractions that Tolkien felt, um, kind of, uh, took away from his work. Like he wasn't able to put as much detail as he wanted into Lord of the Rings because of all these other things, and so that's kind of like, um, like a good summary of Leaf by Niggle being an autobiography of Tolkien's life, especially around Middle Earth. So that's pretty much all I have on uh, Leaf by Niggle as mm -hmm. an autobiography. So yeah, thank you for that, Grant. Yeah, mm -hmm. you did a good job. Thank you. And you sound really cool, actually, with that scruffy like deeper voice yeah it was starting to strain a little bit at the end so i think when you're talking i'll, I'll give it a little bit of a rest okay yeah I'll give it a rest Grant. thanks man um okay so now we're going to talk about it from an allegorical standpoint so um if you didn't know tolkien was a catholic and um even though he says specifically he does not like allegory this is from the forward to the second edition of the fellowship of the ring says, but I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and always have done so since I grew old and wary enough to detect its presence. But um, it's pretty clear that there's allegorical characteristics to this story. Um, and uh, also, this is since this is completely separate from Lord of the Rings, I think he felt that an allegory, uh, or that this was okay to be an allegory because it wasn't, anything part of or it wasn't a way to interpret the characters in Lord of the Rings is completely separate yeah so um, we can start with uh, we'll start with Parrish just so to lay some groundwork Parrish P-A 
R-I-S-H, so it's not like disappearing like a parish, but parish as in the area surrounding a church or just like the community. So uh, his neighbor parish is his neighbor, but it also could be a stand-in for neighbors in general, like as a whole, your yeah. community. And um, so the journey that uh, Niggle is going on could be if you're looking at it from an allegorical point of view uh is it the journey of death and then going to paradise or heaven um uh so this is from the short story it says uh or told or not tolkien niggle says at any rate i shall get this picture this one picture done my real picture before i have to go on that wretched journey he used to say yet he was beginning to see that he could not put off his start indefinitely picture would have to stop would have to stop just growing and get finished um which is kind of uh like the uh um from tolkien's point of view and the christian point of view of uh you have a purpose on earth and uh you can't just ignore it which the purpose or the um and the or the uh purpose would be helping your neighbor um, not neighbor as in people that live next to you, but just like helping others around you. Yeah. Um, and but in the Bible they say neighbor, so it's just that's what I'm gonna say. So don't yeah, get right, it right, don't right. get it twisted. Neighbor means everybody. Um, so before Pear, or Niggle goes on his journey, he is so focused on the painting that he literally is not helping his neighbor. But um, and he does when he goes to the. Uh, a doctor and everything but for the most part he's so focused on his painting that he's not helping his community around him and he uh is only focusing on himself and his own work um and uh but even parish is also being critical of him and parish can't see the beauty in the painting um and does or scoffs at uh niggle for not tending to his own garden um so then Niggle gets picked up by the driver, uh, which is kind of like uh, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And he takes him to Purgatory. So uh, Purgatory, if you don't know, is a Catholic belief. Um, and it's a place or a state of suffering inhabited by the souls of sinners who are essentially cleansing themselves before going to heaven, um, which is... Uh, this is... Like I said, a Catholic belief, so it's not believed by all Christian religions, but this is what uh, Tolkien would have believed. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially a place between heaven and earth where you atone for your sins. And uh, when you're in purgatory, uh, everybody in purgatory, in the Catholic belief, everybody in purgatory is going to heaven. So it's not a place you go and then can get kicked out of. It's essentially cleansing yourself and getting yourself ready for heaven. So it's not as some people as like the common belief is it's not a place of just waiting where you sit and just wait. Um, and it's not a place of where you just go and work and suffer. What you're supposed to be doing is working to uh, cleanse yourself and get yourself ready to go to heaven. Yeah. Which is if you look at what um, Niggle has to do, he has to dig, do carpentry and painting bare boards, which with the things he was neglecting in life where's his garden and helping his neighbor with the house and so 
digging carpentry and painting bare boards all one plain color are uh, essentially some things that he was neglecting in life uh, with helping his neighbor. Um, so another thing um, is that in purgatory, which is the the infirmary work infirmary he's in, um, is uh, the all the windows in the infirmary face inward. It says it was more like being in a prison than in a hospital. He had to work hard at stated hours, digging carpentry and painting bare boards, all in one plain color. Uh, he was he was never allowed outside, and all the windows looked inwards. So essentially, he's having to take an inward look at himself while he is at this work camp um, or infirmary hospital thing and look into himself and see uh, his faults and where he fell short. Um, And that is why Nagel had to do that specific work. And we see um, later in the story, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, After Nagel has been there, uh, for a little bit, um, he, uh, where is it? Take your time, man. Okay, yeah, so, um, so this is, uh, after he's been there for a little bit, um, he said one thing, he, or it says one thing he kept on repeating to himself as he lay in the dark, I wish I had called on Parish the first morning after the high winds began. I meant to. The first loose tiles would have been an easy fix. Um, then he goes on to talk about Parrish a little more, but, um, it's just, uh, him working through or working on himself and he's now thinking instead of inwardly at himself, but thinking about Parrish or the community that he, uh, neglected to help. Um, and, uh, so his end, the end, like his chief end Mm -hmm. turns from his painting to the good of his neighbor and um so he's atoning for his sins when he's saying i wish i had called on parish that morning so then the two voices come in um and i mentioned them but we didn't talk about what exactly they're saying and um i'll just quick read this the section uh, uh when the voices come in so it says now the niggle case said a voice a severe voice more severe than the doctor's what was the matter with him, said the second voice, and the voice you might have called gentle, though it was not soft, it was a voice of authority, and it sounded at once hopeful and sad. What was the matter with Niggle? His heart was in the right place. Yes, but it, it did not function properly, said the first voice, and his head was not screwed on tight enough. He hardly ever thought at all. Look at the time he was look at the time he was wasted, not even amusing himself. He never got ready for his journey. He was moderately well off, yet he arrived almost des arrived here almost destitute and had to be put in a pauper's wig wing a bad case i'm afraid i think he should stay some time yet it would not do him any harm perhaps said the second voice but of course he is only a little man he was never meant to be anything very much he was never very strong look at the records yes there are some favorable points you know uh that was basically just a roast session yeah but now that i read that when it says but of course he's only a little man he was never meant to be anything very much he was never very strong that sounds like the hobbit yeah that's what i was kind of thinking yeah i just realized that but so jay i think we might be on to something yeah we might be awesome um but so these voice or these two voices could be justice and mercy and um Justice and Mercy arguing together is an ancient tradition. Um, it's in Dante, which we talked about 
in the inspirations episode that I referenced earlier with the Shakespeare when Grant read that thing, but it's um it also becomes it comes before that. So in in the Bible, I'm going to be reading two verses. I'm going to read them in the King James version because it sounds cool, and yeah. that's what Tolkien would have read. Yeah. But so it the justice and mercy arguing with each other comes from. Uh, Psalms eighty five ten. It says, "Mercy and truth are met together; righteousness and peace have kissed each other." Um, and then also in Zechariah seven nine, it says, "Thus speaks the Lord, Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion on every man in his brother to his brother." So it's a common theme of justice and mercy, uh, working together and uh, working things out together, and you can see that in. Uh, the first voice, which is justice, and the second, which is mercy. Um, the second voice says his heart was in the right place, which would be mercy. And then justice says, yes, but it did not function properly. Says would not his head was, head was not screwed on tight enough. So justice is, which could also be truth, is pointing out the uh, the truth of what. Yeah, the facts. Yeah, the facts. Yeah, what actually happened. Yeah, and also justice is not always a uh, punishment it's not always punishing people for doing wrong, but it's also rewarding yeah. people for doing right. So, yeah. um, and then mercy or grace is the second voice, which is, uh, bringing the counterpoints, um, of like, but he was only a little man. He never meant to be anything very much. Sorry. <laughs> it's just crawling. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Okay. <coughs> I was wondering what she So, yeah. So these two voices, justice and mercy, it could also be read as, God and Jesus, but if you break it down to the basis of it, it's justice and mercy. Yeah. Because it would be like God from the Old Testament who, like the wrath of God and the justice of God, and then Jesus in the New Testament is merciful and shows grace. But So it could be that you could read it as that, but if you break it down, it's justice and mercy. Break it down. <clears throat> and then, um, so they sent him uh, in, in with the Catholic belief of purgatory there's different levels to it and it gets easier as you uh or not well it gets easier but also closer to perfection as you make your way up through purgatory yeah oh and i forgot to mention he wasn't able to bring anything on the uh he wasn't able to have time to pack and then he wasn't when he got off the train he forgot his stuff and that's like how you can't bring your earthly possessions into heaven yeah so uh there's a line when uh, this is right after the uh um the two voices, justice and mercy, are talking, and uh, Niggle is laying in the darkness, and he's listening, and it says, It was like being publicly praised when you and all the audience knew that the praise was not deserved. And that's pretty much an allegory in itself to the Gospels of uh, we you don't deserve forgiveness, uh, or you don't deserve, yeah, you don't deserve forgiveness, and then Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for the forgiveness, and it's the same as... yeah. Uh, it was like being publicly praised when you and all the audience knew that the praise was not deserved. So then after the two <coughs> voices talk it over, they decide that Niggle has been selfless because he his first reaction is to talk about or to ask about Parrish because he's yeah. growing as a person or yeah. his soul is growing, I guess. Yeah. Um. So they send him off to the next stage, uh, which is the, uh, what was it called? Gentle treatment. Um, And so he shows up uh, to the gentle treatment um, and he gets there and there is he sees the tree and everything that's there um, the forest and everything but then there's the mountains in the distance 
Um, and while he's in this, which becomes Niggle's parish, mm-hmm. it's still purgatory. It's not heaven because when par- when parish comes, he still has his limp. Um, yeah, yeah. But later off, he or he loses his limp, or it's healed later on. But um, so this is like the step before heaven. Yeah. And uh, so Nig or yeah, Niggle realizes that um, he can't fix everything that or tend everything in that forest without um help. So he realizes he needs Parrish to help him, and this is like uh, all being. <coughs> this is like um you know n- one man no man is an island or whatever that quote is yeah but it's also uh part of the whole thing of working for the community and uh the parish yeah the parish like I, like i said it's parish is a stand could be a standard for the community as a whole yeah but um so him and uh parish work together and they um, they fix or finish everything in Niggle's parish. Um, and whether they're or before they went on their journey, parish was very matter of fact and critical of art. And Niggle was only focused on art and wouldn't focus on uh, helping neighbors and uh, fixing things. Um, but when they're working together, um, Niggle becomes more appreciative and works harder on like the manual labor in the garden yeah, yeah. and the stuff he neglected and Parrish starts to see the beauty of the tree and everything that um, that Niggle had come up with yeah, basically. That, yeah that Niggle had created but it's also uh, where is it um, worth pointing out that um, it says so this is when Niggle first gets there. It says, Some of the most beautiful and most characteristic, the most perfect example of the Niggle style were seen to have been produced in collaboration with Mr. Parrish. There was no other way of putting it. So Niggle wasn't able to fulfill the his ultimate uh, end of creating that tree without the help of Parrish in the collaboration. Yeah. Um, and so then the... Uh, the guide shows up and is like, hey, do you want to come the rest of the way? Which would be... Heaven. Heaven, yeah. So then uh, Niggle goes on to heaven and Parrish decides to stay and wait for his wife. So Parrish has not fully cleansed himself. And it's also... There's also another way to look at it. Some people think Niggle and Parrish are two parts of the same person. Yeah. And they have to come together and live learn to essentially live with each other to become one yeah i was literally um i'm gonna wait until you i have something on that but i'm gonna wait until you wrap up your okay yeah, i'm almost section. done okay because i think it ties in very well with the next section yes so then at the very end when the justice and mercy are talking again uh they say it is proven they're talking about niggles parish it is proving very useful indeed said the second voice as a holiday and a refreshment it is splendid for convalescence, and not only that, for many, it is the best introduction to the mountains. It works wonders in some cases. I'm sending more and more there. They seldom have to come back. Um, so, Niggle wasn't able to um, fulfill his dream of creating the painting on Earth, because that is not what his 
chief end should have been it should yeah. have been helping your neighbors and helping your community um but when he was in purgatory or in eternity in general he was able to with the help of the community and working together um he was able <coughs> to create the uh it's not paradise but the step before uh which was a benefit to all the souls that would go through it after that yeah so yeah so there's that whole there's there's that reading of it as an allegory for the journey to heaven and uh one last thing before you say your thing if this was like interesting to you uh c.s lewis does this a lot with his uh writings because narnia could be read as an allegory but he also has stuff like the great divorce and um i saw you reading it on the table the final battle yeah the last battle or the last battle yeah all could be or the great divorce is a very similar allegory to this um but there's you should check out c.s lewis's writings on these two yeah but yeah so um before we transition into um leaf by niggle um reading it um viewing art versus utilitarianism Mm -hmm. i was thinking about how like when uh niggle and parish go into niggle's parish which is basically his painting realized Mm -hmm. um it was kind of like how parish was like oh there's actually beauty in the art that he was making and then niggle was like oh there's actually like value in the labor and taking care of things and it's kind of like how like i was thinking like art has value in society and utilitarianism or labor has value in society yeah but when both of them are kind of put together like how niggle and parish work together and mm-hmm. then or like the the labor in making the art is kind of combined it makes something that's even better for everyone yeah like because you can have art and you can appreciate art and that's really cool but then you can have the labor side of things and that's really nice because it produces things but if you put them both together it makes something even better and i was just thinking that like justice and mercy you can have justice which is good because that's you know it's it's Mm -hmm. justice it's the right thing it's the truth but you can also have mercy for other people or like pity yeah but if you have them together it's the best thing justice mixed with mercy or like um kind of going with like the bible sort of stuff Mm -hmm. um this is a very i guess this is getting very philosophical Mm -hmm. but it makes sense there's you can have love you can love other people but then there's also the side of you can discipline people like Mm -hmm. this you know like you have to be disciplined or like whatever and you can kind of have a harsh sense of discipline but if you mix love with discipline it's better you know what yeah. I'm saying? So that's what I was just kind of thinking. Like, there's like all these sorts of things. There's all these different aspects of society that a lot of people are divided on. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially Christians with those yeah. sort of things. But if you mix those, not mix them, but like combine them, use them together, yeah, it makes it everything better. Basically, that's just kind of what I was thinking. Like, art versus utilitarianism. There's a whole side. It's versus. Yeah. But when you put them together, it's much better. Yeah, so essentially, yeah, so the parish's labor in uh, Niggle's art on Earth are separate, and they clash with with each other. Yeah. And they would be the same. Justice by itself is not entirely good, and mercy by itself is not entirely good because there's faults in them. 
Yeah. But if you combine them together, like when they're when they're in paradise, the labor and the art come together to create. Yeah. Something great and justice and mercy come together to create something great, but separate. Yeah, when like when justice and mercy, the two voices were talking together, it mm-hmm. wasn't until they started to agree, like when like coming to a like solution that it started yeah. to turn out good. Because mm-hmm. before that, they were just basically opposed. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of like realized that like the whole point of it, or maybe that's part of what Tolkien was trying to write about. Yeah. is like you you can have both things, and both are good in their own way, but they also have a lot of faults in their own way. Mm-hmm. But when they're together they produce a lot of fruit. And one thing you said that's interesting about now with, you said there's the art by itself or with art by itself without the labor isn't as good as art with labor. Yeah. That's like AI art. I was just, there's no, you you were bringing that up and I just thought about that too. AI art would be art without less art. Yeah. Art without the labor, but the labor is, Ascent some or is part of the art. Yeah, because you can just type in a few words like keywords, and it will yeah. just pop it out. And it it's cool, but mm-hmm. like art without the dream or the passion behind it is just it's just kind of empty. Yeah, yeah. So like art without the labor behind it, without someone actually putting in their hours and uh, like mm-hmm. putting work into it, is just it's empty. It's valueless. Yeah. Man, but yeah, that's what I have for <laughs> allegory. <laughs> okay, so that's a good transition into art versus utility. Well, let's go to an ad first. Let's go to an ad first, and let's realize and let's, the value of this ad. And you guys can just sit and think about what we just talked about. Okay, we'll see you guys in a second. Hey everyone, have you been wondering where you can see the behind the scenes of this podcast or correct us when we inevitably get something wrong on the podcast? Well, I'm here to let you know. You can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle underscore earth or on Twitter at expmiddleearth. If you don't want to look those up, links to both of those will be in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, welcome back, guys, uh, after that little uh, social media plug ad thing. Yes. I hope you guys thought long and hard about what we were just talking about because I just came up with it and it's all a lie. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But no, I, I never, I like going into this, I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. I was just going off of the topics we had, but then the more we talked about it, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, this brings me back to my English class days, mm-hmm. uh, doing book reports and stuff. So, uh, yeah, so now we're going to talk about uh, Leaf by Niggle, um, kind of reading it, looking at art versus utilitarianism. Um, and I don't have a lot on it that I didn't already talk about or that mm-hmm. Jay hasn't already talked about in the allegory section. But I do want to read a passage and then maybe talk. Wait, should about we it define utilitarianism? You first? can you can define the heck out of it. Okay, well, utilitarianism is a philosophy um, that it's essentially that the actions or what you create or do should maximize the help, happiness, and well-being of the people of the majority. So it should be uh, should be beneficial. To yeah, most it should people. be useful and beneficial to the majority. Yeah. So, um, the passage I want to read in Leaf by Niggle is like a, it's like 
a page or two or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's like two pages. Um, it's uh, I'm not going to say the numbers because you guys might not have the same version. Anyways, here we go. <laughs> this is after uh, Niggle helped uh, his neighbor perish and his wife, and he got sick because of it. Um, <clears throat> at the end of a week or so, Niggle tottered out to his shed again. He tried to climb the ladder, but it made his head giddy. He sat and looked at the picture, but there were no patterns of leaves or visions of mountains in his mind that day. He could have painted a far-off view of a sandy desert, but he had not the energy. Next day, he felt a good deal better. He climbed the ladder and began to paint. He had just begun to get into it again when there came a knock on the door. Damn, said Niggle. (laughs) But he might just have well said, come in, politely, for the door opened all the same. This time, a very tall man came in, a total stranger. This is a private studio, said Niggle. I am busy. Go away. I am an inspector of houses, said the man, holding up his appointment card so that Niggle on his ladder could see it. Oh, he said. Your neighbor's house is not satisfactory at all, said the inspector. I know, said Niggle. I took a note to the builders a long time ago, but they have never come. Then I have been ill. I see, said the inspector, but you are not ill now. But I am not a builder. Parish ought to make make a complaint to the town council and get help from the emergency service. They are busy with worse damage than any up here, said the inspector. There has been a flood in the valley, and many families are homeless. You should have helped your neighbor to make temporary repairs and prevent the damage from getting more costly to, to men than necessary. That is the law. There is plenty of material here. Canvas, wood, waterproof paint. Where? asked Niggle indignantly. There, said the inspector, pointing to the picture. My picture, exclaimed Niggle. I dare say it is, said the inspector. But houses come first. That is the law. But I can't. Niggle said no more, for at that moment another man came in, very much like the inspector he was, almost his double. Tall, dressed all in black. Come along, he said. I am the driver. Niggle stumbled down from the ladder. His fever seemed to have come on again, and his head was swimming. He felt cold all over. Driver, driver, he chattered. Driver of what? You and your carriage, said the man. The carriage was ordered long ago. It has come at last. It's waiting. You start today on your journey, you know. There now, said the inspector. You'll have to go, but it's a bad way to start on your journey, leaving your jobs undone. Still, we can at least make some use of this canvas now. Oh, dear, said poor Niggle, beginning to weep. And it's not even finished. Not finished, said the driver. Well, it's finished with, as far as you're concerned, at any rate. Come along. So, basically, that whole passage is just kind of how Niggle spent most of his time, even while he was sick, and basically knew, if if it is an allegory about death, he basically Mm -hmm. knew he was going to die, and he still spent every waking hour trying to finish his painting for the sake of art, because it pleased him to look at it even if when it didn't please him because it was unsatisfactory to him. And then when the inspector came and told him that he should have used, he should have put his art aside to help his neighbor and, you know, it would benefit his neighbor uh, and himself in the long run to uh, use all of his canvas and his wood and his waterproof paint to uh, make temporary repairs on the the roof. Um, You know, like the inspector was like, well, I mean, you're pretty much done with it now since you're dead. So yeah. might as well use it. It will benefit other people because there's no benefit to this art. 
So that's just it's just kind of basically an example or like kind of a, a good chunk of what the art versus utilitarianism is in Leaf by Nickel. Um, yeah. So I don't know what you have on that, but I, I just wanted to read that passage because that kind of sums it all up, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it gets brought back up when Tompkins, Atkins, and Perkins are talking. Those are good names. Yeah. They all rhyme. Sorry, I'm trying to find a good way to talk because Finn is laying on my cord. Um, uh, so Tompkins says, I think he was a silly little man, worthless in fact, no use to s- society at all. And uh, he says, no practical or economic use. I dare say he could have been made into a service, serviceable cog of some sort if you, if you schoolmasters knew your business. So essentially the laws of this uh, country or where they're in uh, is that, that the house comes first. Um, and that uh, Niggles should have been pursuing his painting and his art in his free time. And this goes back to what Grant and I were talking about at the end of the allegory uh, one that uh, that the art and the labor together have value but um, separated in this society they they don't see any value in art because it isn't joined with labor but um, it's uh, some it's different with the uh, um with how on earth and eternity like i mean i don't really have anything else to add to what because we pretty much summed it up with what we talked about at the end but um even though niggles art didn't last on earth and they didn't find a uh service or a value for it uh it would became very important part of eternity and uh purgatory and it served many souls um and i guess this goes back to the allegory of uh that you are not working for uh your the stuff you have on earth but you're working for your goods in heaven yeah um for your value in heaven so uh yeah so there's not really there's not this um story doesn't deal with specifically with art versus utilitarianism so there's not a clear answer to uh what it it other than that this is just an example of the two extremes of Tolkien or not Tolkien Niggle and Parrish yeah. on either end of the spectrum of uh, one being super utilitarian utilitaristic is what you utilitarianistic yeah utilitarianistic with um, there's no value to art at all or utilitaristic util- I don't know but there Parrish this is no value to art at all and Niggle is art has the highest value and there's no the value to labor and uh, yeah. work is less. So, I don't know. You could probably dive deeper into it, but there's not a definite answer. It's just this a theme that runs throughout it. Yeah. This this episode got a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be, not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to talk about. We could probably... I mean, there's a lot more we could go into on the allegory part if we wanted yeah. to dig deeper, but, you know... We could do it later, maybe some other time. Yeah. But um, yeah. Do you <coughs> yeah. want? No. What? Do you want to do current events or trivia first? Well, I will do trivia first. Okay. I'll so. Yeah, you tell me. You tell me. For uh, for trivia, we didn't really, um, we didn't really know what to do because this was more of like a discussion rather than a topic. There's not really sort of thing. cold hard facts. And yeah, there wasn't really a lot 
other than like what was Niggle's neighbor's name or something like that. Parish. Yeah, so <laughs> there's not really like a whole lot on that. So we I mean at least I just went to uh Tolkien Gateway which is kind of like the unofficial official Tolkien Wiki. Um <clears throat> and I just clicked on the random page and I just kind of looked for different topics to do trivia questions on. So my first trivia question to you um is what is Treebeard's elvish name? Treebeard. This is the easiest question, by the way. So you, you Let should me think about it. Don't overthink it, though. What is his elvish name? Ah, the heck. Or another name for Treebeard. And I can't think. My mind's blank, and I know that right when you say it, I'll know. And it's on a map. It's the name of Treebeard himself and another thing. Uh, uh, oh, uh, it's, no, uh, I, no. You, you sound like you're kicking yourself in the groin. <laughs> I, I don't, I can't think of it. What's the first letter? F. Fangorn. Fanghorn. Fanghorn, yeah. Fangorn. It's, it, Dang. it, it literally means Treebeard in Elvish, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Dang, dude, I'm upset, dude. Man, that was the easiest one, too. I wonder what you're going to do with the other ones. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll think those ones are easier. I don't know. Yeah. Here, so I just found a Middle Earth trivia quiz with 10 questions. So I'll just ask you. Um, Might as well ask me all of them, but just do a few right now. Okay, well, I got it. Okay, uh, so I'll do the first one. <coughs> oh, this one's super easy. Oh, okay. Sauron created the One Ring to rule over all of the other rings of power, but who created the three elven rings? Celebrimbor. Yeah. Dang, right. Yeah. You got it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what is the capital of Gondor before Minas Tirith? Minas Arnor? No. <laughs> Dang, that's the only... <laughs> Minas Arnor is Minas Tirith. Oh. Dang. So I'm, that's, not a, that's not an incorrect answer, so I'm, well, I'll let you guess again. What's the, what was the capital of Gondor? Yeah. It wasn't any of the Minas oh, cities. Uh, it was right in between them. Right in between Minas Tirith and Minas uh, Ithil. Is it, was its name ever changed, or is it in the Third no. Age that's what its name is? It's always been the same name. Rohan? No, I don't know. Starts with an O. Uh, well, Asgoliath. As- uh, yeah, Asgoliath. Uh, Asgoliath. Yeah. Dang, all I need is the first letter. In that. I know, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much almost had it. Mm-hmm. All right, hit me up. Okay, let me find a good one. Um. Okay, how many of the Astari, how many of the Astari were originally sent to Middle Earth? Five. Yes. Can you name them? Or, well, yeah, name them and then the two. I don't know if they, yeah. Yeah, name so one. there was Saruman, who was named um, Kurumo. There was mm-hmm. Gandalf, who was named um, Aloran. There was Radagast, who was named Iwindil. And there was also Alatar and Palando, the two yes. little wizards. Nice, Grant. Okay, last one, which might be easier than the other <laughs> yeah, two. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, who was the king of Nargothrond in the first age? Nargothrond. He was an elf. Oh, I'm bad with elf names. Is it like, is it one of... It's one of the Fs. Ah, oh, dang. Feanor, 
Finrod, Finway, Finarfin. Am I? Is it? Am I close at all? You said it. Oh, I said it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just have to be confident with it. Okay, so Finrod, Finway, Finarfin, and Fain. Did I say Feanor? You did say Feanor. Is yeah. it Feanor? No. Is it Finrod? Yes. Yes. Ow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then just as a bonus question, what is Finrod's nickname? Finrod Felagund? Yep. Nice. That's the only one I got the first try. Yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, let me f- let me find a hard one. Okay. I'm just going to Google hardest Middle Earth question. Okay. Finn, come here. Get your ball. I'll throw the ball for you while Jay's coming up with an answer or a question. Come here. Oh, you're trying to walk on me? Here we go. Can you pass the hardest Lord of the Rings quiz? Let's see. I've probably taken this before because sometimes I do that just to see okay. how hard they are. Do you want me to just – let's see how many there are. Maybe we could just go through it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. We'll just go through some of them. Yeah, just go through a few. What was Frodo's mother's name? Do you want me – it's multiple choice. Do you oh, want them? Uh, hold on. Let me see if I can guess it before the multiple choice. Okay. It was uh, uh, Primula. Yes. Primula, Primula. I don't know how Primula, to pronounce it. Yeah. How old is Frodo on Bilbo's birthday at the beginning of the Fellowship of the beginning, Ring? Beginning, okay. It was his 111th, and yep. he was, um, hold on, hold on. He was, it was definitely in his 30s. Mm-hmm. It was his coming of age. Was it 31? No, 33. 33. That was close, ah, So close. I know it, it's, it was like the Hobbit coming of age because it was it was Bilbo's 111th or whatever it was um birthday which was special and then it was Frodo's coming of age that which was special and they shared the same birthday okay but I couldn't remember the age what does RR stand for in the author J.R.R. Tolkien's name Ronald Rule yes okay um Oh, this one uh, is kind of easier. What is the last name Frodo gives at the Prancing Pony Inn? Underhill. Yeah. Let's do two more. Okay. What gift does Galadriel give Gimli at the parting feast? Three strands of her hair. Yes. Um, Let me find that one's easy. Let me. Oh, that one's also yeah, easy. Yeah, get some challenging ones in there. Oh, here we go. This is a quote. You got to pair the character to the oh, quote. Okay, okay. Which character said the following quote? Memory is not what the heart desires. That is only a mirror. Do you want the multiple choice? Or? Uh, <coughs> I think I know who it is, but just give me the multiple choice so I, I know for sure. Uh, Legolas, Gandalf, Sam, or Gimli? And then say the quote again. Mercy is not what the heart desires. That is only a mirror. That's difficult because I feel like definitely it seems like a Gandalf or like it seems like a Gandalf quote, but I feel like that would be too easy. But then again, it could be just the thing to trick me. Hmm. 
I'm not looking at you because I don't want you to give it away with your face. I'm going to just throw an oddball out there and I'm going to just go with Legolas. Incorrect. Is it Gandalf? Incorrect. Frodo? Right. Uh, Frodo wasn't even an option. Oh, so I thought no. you said Frodo was I an said option. Sam. Sam, oh. It's Gimli. Gimli. Dang. Gimli said it. It's okay. I would guess Gandalf. That was, yeah, because it sounded like a Gandalf quote. Yeah. But I, yeah, I didn't think it was. Yeah, so why don't we move on to Middle Earth Current Events. I forgot that I haven't been putting in the music. I sh- I'm going to put that in right now. Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah, that there was music. Yeah. No, in the last episode, too, I was listening back on it, and it was funny because there was like a few times where it was either you or I, we would say like, oh, we'll just cut that part. Oh, really? I thought I marked down all the, everything, <laughs> and then I said I would cut yeah, it. Like, we would go like, oh, we'll just cut that part out, and then we'd like clap or snap or something like that to mark it or like Dang, to kind of show where it was. And it just never got <laughs> so it's, just, it's more funny than anything, but it's it like, I'll oh, be man. better. It's more real. Yeah, it's more real. You guys are getting the uncut, raw yeah. audio of Jane Grant's Just a little adventures. peek into our lives. Yeah. But yeah, so welcome to Middle Earth Current Events. This is current events on this earth pertaining to Middle Earth. Yes. So an article was published by Discover Magazine. Um, and the title is New Species of Frog Named After the Hobbit Author, J.R.R. Tolkien. I think it's funny that it's the Hobbit author. Yeah, not I feel Lord like of Lord of the Rings would be more well known. Yeah, what do you yeah what is more recognizable, the Hobbit or Lord Lord of the Rings? Well, I guess, okay, so with Lord of the Rings is the title of the book, but hobbits are the characters, and I feel like the hobbits are more recognizable than, I feel like somebody would know what a hobbit is more than the story of Lord of the Rings. That's true, because it's both in the hobbit and in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so saying the hobbit. But I think a lot of people also would associate, like, they would think of the movies. Yeah, the most popular movies, of course, are the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So they might be. Yeah, I don't know. Let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. So a new frog. um, Does it look cool? Do you have a picture of it? You have a picture of it. I'll link this in the show notes so you can see it. I'm not going to try to explain the frog, but it's a frog. You know, like it looks like a tree frog. Yeah, like a tropical tree frog. Um, And let me make sure uh, the the. Frog is named the Hylocertus tolkini, um, or the Rio Negro stream frog, uh, and uh, Rio meaning river. river. Yeah, so it's a river. And so in the study that they published, this is a quote from it, which I think you'll find enjoyable and everybody else. In a stream in the forest, there lived a Hylocertus, not a nasty, dirty stream with the spore of contamination and muddy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy stream with nothing in it to perch on or eat. It was a hylocertus stream, and that means environmental quality. <laughs> so it's just like the opening yeah. to in the hole in the ground or lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty hole. Um, nor yet a dry, sandy hole. Yeah. Pit hole. Um... So this frog is about two and a half inches long. It's a little larger than the most frogs in its uh Yeah, I would family. say I would say two and a half inches is pretty Yeah. I think it's pretty big actually. Larger than most. That's right? surprising. Yeah, how that's big what that it is. said. It said larger than most. 
Yeah. And its family. By frog standards. By frog standards. <laughs> yeah, two and a half inches. Yeah. That's pretty large for a frog. Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, so this is just the description the article has. Besides the pale pink eyes, the Rio Negro stream frog has gray-green, black, and golden-yellow underside. Black Ooh. spots covers its belly, mouth, and toes. According to the press release, the frog also has black bars and spots on its figures and toes in broad skin stripes. So, the the <coughs> frog was named after Tolkien because the uh, researchers who discovered it were all Tolkien fans. I'm looking at the picture of the frog right now, and it looks it looks pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I'd ha- I have to say it's my new favorite frog. Yeah. I didn't think I had I don't think I had a favorite frog before, but this is my favorite frog. Yeah. You know what my favorite thing is at the zoos? What? Forget all the other animals out there, man. Forget them. Forget them. Yeah. Put put me in. <laughs> put me in one of those little rainforest terrariums, okay? Yeah. I don't know why I changed my accent here, but I am it's doing okay. it. It's okay. I'm doing it. Put me in one of those rainforest terrariums, okay? Mm-hmm. Give me a bunch of freaking snakes and tree frogs. Ooh. Like those those poisonous dart frogs Yeah. with a super colorful mm-hmm. and just look at them all day. I could do that. I could do that all day. I, you know, Frederick Meyer Gardens in Grand Rapids when they do the yes. butterfly exhibits. That's great. But also in that rainforest habitat garden, whatever that they have, they have tropical birds just flying around in there. Yeah, that's so freaking cool. Yeah, I will have to agree with you, but not. I'm gonna have to disagree about the snakes. I'm not a snake guy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to everyone. I'll give you that. I like. Uh, I'm. I'm a frog guy. I used to catch toads and frogs in the swamp in my backyard when I was a kid. Oh yeah. But, you know, I still don't like snakes. Maybe that's just another reason why I'm like Indiana Jones. <laughs> I don't like snakes. <laughs> Was there any other reason other than that one? But uh, look at these frogs. Though. Oh, wow, yeah. Grant's showing me a blue frog right now. There's a blue frog. Oh, there's this black and yellow. Black classic. and yellow. Black and yellow. Oh, black I think and this is like uh-huh. the classic one everyone sees. Yeah. It's it's like the red frog with the blue the blue. Do legs. you remember that? Um, frog game on I had on Apple like on iTunes that you had you just had frogs and you'd have lily pads and you'd have a frog colony you know kind of yeah I forgot what it was called might have to get that <laughs> oh I should get that uh, what is it called I used to play it on my iPad Touch I had an iPad Touch seventh generation nice I thought it was so sick I remember doing research being like guys it has Retina display I told my family about the Retina display I didn't know what Retina display was. <laughs> But it had it, and I got it. Sick, man. Sick, yeah. Yeah, I'm, now I'm just looking at pictures of frogs. But yeah, we'll have to get we'll have to get on that frog app. You know what's crazy? Oh, what's it called? The um, let me see if I can find that frog African app. Goliath frog. Yeah, the African Goliath. Goliath frog. Those suckers are huge. Grant, so are you a mammal or a me? Rep- no, okay, sorry. Are Am you, I a mammal? Are you a mammal dude or a reptile dude? Oh. I already know you're a bird guy, but yeah, pocket frogs—that's the name of the app. Pocket frogs—that's okay. what I'm getting. But yeah, I think I'd probably have to say I'm not gonna lie. I think I'd have to say a mammal guy. Yeah, me too. Because I like reptiles, but I also—I mean, like if you think about mammals, you got dogs and cats. But then wildlife, you've got bears, wolves. Let's um, let's do quick fire round. I'll ask you questions about your favorite animals, and you ask me questions. So okay. I'll I'll go first with you. Uh, name your favorite bird. Favorite bird of all? That's that's pretty hard for me because I like a lot favorite of favorite five birds. 
Fa- oh, okay. Favorite, favorite five, birds. five birds you can think of right now. So then, if you think of them later, it's, it's not like oh. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go with um, bald eagle. I feel like that's Ooh, an obvious yeah. choice because uh, they're American. Yeah, but they are also very elegant um, yeah. and majestic. So, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna go with that one. That's not. This is not in any distinct order. Mm-hmm. Uh, American red start. Yep. Uh, I see the pattern here. American. Yeah. Carulian warbler. Mm-hmm. Um, Warblers. I'm gonna go with uh, red-eyed vireo and a wood thrush. Wood thrush. Those are all American birds. Nice. Can be found in our home state, mm-hmm. and I have witnessed them on many occasions. Okay. And not I. I don't. Some of them I don't like them for their like colors or like how they look. I mean they mm-hmm. look. They all look cool to me because I like birds. Yeah. But I also like them for their songs. Yeah. Is part of the reason. So. Okay. Favorite mammal. Favorite mammal. Okay. Hmm, I'm. Mm. Or should we do by region? <coughs> yeah, sure. I don't. Well, because a mammal could be some lion in Africa or a bear. Yeah, yeah. That, so favorite mammal you can find in America? I'd probably say a bear, a uh, brown bear, grizzly bear. Okay, yeah. grizzly bear. Nice. If I had to be specific, Kodiak bear. Okay. I thought you were gonna get super specific, like uh, Yogi bear. <laughs> Yogi bear, <laughs> Smokey the bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite reptile found in America? We'll just do reptile in general because it's not crazy reptiles found uh, in America as much. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say the alligator snapping turtle. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. I think they're cool. Okay, and last favorite ma- marine animal. So it could be fish, could be crustacean, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just in um, general, if you go in the water and you see it, you like it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which one do you like? <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> I'm thinking. Okay, well let's let's split up freshwater and. S- oh, okay, yeah, saltwater. that makes it easier. Yeah. So, f- favorite freshwater. Freshwater, I'm gonna have to go with um, um, lake sturgeon. Nice. Like a good lake sturgeon. That's a solid one. Uh, saltwater, I'm yeah. gonna have to go with um. Shoot, I think honestly, I think they're pretty cool, but. I was going to say swordfish, but now I'm thinking other marine animals as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to go with um, uh, cuttlefish. Mm, cuttlefish. Because they're very, like, they're, like, really weird. Because yeah. they can camouflage themselves and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Wait, I got one more. <coughs> Favorite bug? Bug. Uh, ladybug. No, I don't know. I was going to say ladybug, but uh, they kind of smell bad. Yeah, they smell bad. That's why I said no <laughs> after a while. <laughs> that, it wasn't after a while. Uh, I'm, maybe, uh, maybe stick bug. Mm, that's a solid one. I like those. Yeah, I like those. Pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm gonna turn, I'm yeah. gonna say, what's your favorite amphibian? Amphibian. Frog. 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 Like Simpl- a tree frog or yeah, pond I like frog. Well, the Tolkien frog. Tolkien frog. But yeah, so like a tree frog. Frogs, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. What's Wait, your? I never asked you what's your favorite. Uh, mammal outside of America, like African or... Um, I would probably say a snow leopard. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Pretty freaking cool. Okay. Back <laughs> to me. Pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, so what's your favorite... Um, oh, I had one before you interrupted me. Sorry, my apologies. Okay, what's your favorite kind of like raptor, like a like a bird? Like, so that'd be like eagle, hawk, vulture. Are, are, are owls considered raptors? Yeah. Or no? Yeah. Yeah, I like... um. Owls, but I do like bald eagles, but you chose that. But I guess those... You can still choose it as an American. 
I think, yeah. you're, I think you're legally Is a raven a raptor? No. Oh, dang. But, well, okay, what's your favorite bird outside of a raptor? <laughs> okay, well, no, my favorite raptor would be like a... Uh, a Jay-Z. Jay-Z. <laughs> oh, sorry, raptor. <laughs> no, I like I like owls, um, great horned owl. Yeah. Uh, what, snow owls? Yeah. I like those. What are those little tiny owls? What are those called? Uh, well, there's a lot of them. Okay. Tiny owls. <laughs> Um, you know, there's elf owls, there's burrowing owls, there's the screech owls. Oh, um, yeah. There's, uh, well, I was going to say my favorite bird outside, obviously blue jay. Outside of raptors. Yeah. Is obviously blue but jay. ravens are pretty cool. But I do too. like ravens. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of in the same family as a blue jay, by the way. Corvidae. I didn't know that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so you got that going for you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what, <laughs> what's your favorite uh, mammal in Africa? I like tigers, just straight up tigers. Snow or <laughs> what are the white tigers? Are they called snow tigers? I think those are just white tigers. White tigers. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna say one thing. Well, I, think I like all color of tigers. <laughs> it's just because it's white doesn't mean it's that's not what I like it more. It's okay. just <laughs> I'm gonna say one thing because I think I think there were tigers in Africa at one point, but I think that's not where they're primarily found. Wait, what the heck? I thought there's tigers in Africa. No, I think like in the Egyptian. Oh, okay. Area there were tigers at one point, um, but I don't me, think they're there anymore. Let me anymore. change my answer. Uh, giraffes. I would say gorilla. Oh, gorillas are cool. I like giraffes, but that's not that's. But we're different people. You're so. answering for yeah. yourself. So. Okay, w- w- do you like gorillas? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah, see, there's your answer. Pretty now. cool, <laughs> man. Um, okay, so what's your favorite mammal? In general? No. Uh, what's your favorite mammal in... Did she unplug it again? No, it's okay, fine. It's still good. We're chill. Um, what's your favorite mammal in like the Europe, Asia area? Europe, Asia... Europe, Asia area. Hmm. Eurasia, sorry. I'm trying to think because I'm trying to think of what is there that wouldn't be... I mean, they have... Okay, well, they have bears in America, but bears aren't my favorite American one. We'll get to that one in a sec. I like... Hmm. Oh, I'm trying to think of one that they wouldn't have in America. Yeah, I made this one tricky, didn't I? Yeah. Probably some type of sheep, like mountain sheep. They have... Yeah. Like in Scotland or... Yeah. I'm trying. I c- I'm having such a hard time thinking of a specific animal that w- isn't in America. Yeah. That is in Europe. Because I mean, there's the. Do you have one? N- oh, in Europe. Yeah, your favorite European. I would. I would say. The uh, the European badger is pretty solid. Oh yeah. Or whatever it's called. Yeah. Let me look. European badger. Because if you look at the North American badger compared to the European badger, um, I saw this kind of compared. Uh, one point, the European badger looks like it's inviting you to tea in its little home underneath a tree, mm-hmm. whereas an American badger looks like it's about to shank you and take your money. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I I, I do like European. I love the European. Also, the hedgehog. Yeah, but badgers kind of throw me off because they kind of look like at first glance skunk. they look like a skunk, yeah. and that just throws me off. Also, yeah, I love hedgehogs. That puts that puts a bad taste in my mouth. That puts a bad smell in my nose. Jay, the hedgehog. Oh, hedgehogs! Ki- yeah, are you kidding me? Look at that thing. Hedgehog. Well, I'm looking at it, but a European hedgehog or just a hedgehog? Yeah, I think European. I don't think there's any in North America, is there? 
I don't know, man. Probably his pets. Oh, yeah. Hedgehogs are sick. Yeah. Love a good hedgehog. Mm-hmm. Um, Who doesn't? Yeah. Also, there is, I think, in in Europe, there is a sparrow hawk, yeah. which is kind of like our sharpshinned hawk or Cooper's hawk. They're a smaller mm-hmm. hawk, but it's just a cool name, sparrow hawk. Um. Yeah, there's some there's some birds in Europe, like especially in Scotland and Britain, that I really especially want to see. especially some birds in Europe. Yeah, so <laughs> shout out to all our uh, <laughs> British followers out there. Um, what's your favorite bird or animal? Wait, bird or animal? I'm talking to our followers, our pilfs. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. I was like, <laughs> I already answered bird. No, okay. So what's Blue your Jay. favorite? Uh, let's okay. Last one. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Okay, so you you like to fish. Yeah. What's your favorite fish to fish for, or like what's a fish you want to catch, like fish fishing? Wise? Okay, favorite fish I fish for, or trout specifically. Brook trout. Yeah, good. Uh, what I'd want to fish for, um, are salmon, but for freshwater, like salmon, like king salmon, yeah, or yeah, like up in Alaska. But I think it'd be cool to fish, um. For like um, like a marlin in like a swordfish yeah, type thing, yeah, that'd be cool. I have been uh, charter fishing on Lake Michigan and in the Florida Keys, and both are pretty awesome. Uh, in Lake Michigan, we went fishing for steelhead, which are yeah. uh, rainbow trout, but yeah. just as they're spawning, um, and they were like three feet long. Yeah, they're big. They're pretty big, and so that was pretty fun. Um, and then we did catch some salmon on that trip too. But then in the Florida Keys, we caught it was a bunch of I think they were mutton snappers, so they were smaller, but they were pr- kind of fun and they were good uh, to eat too. Yeah. And then uh, I think my brother uh, he caught some other crazy fish, and that was pretty big. I one I think it'd be cool to try. Technically, it's I don't know if it's technically fishing, but I think I'd be too scared to is the uh, noodling. What have you heard? I say your thing. Um, the um catfish fishing where you just catch them with your hand. They bite your hand and you pull them up. You know. Yeah. I think that I'd be too scared to do that, but that looks fun. Yeah, that's noodling. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you just like re- the guy reaches. What was that Discovery show? River with Monsters with Jeremy Wade. No, the one where it's oh. that hillbilly guy who takes them catfishing, catfish fishing, and he has like he's missing teeth or whatever. I forgot his name, but what. He's just, you stand in muddy water, yeah. and it's just this hillbilly guy who wears, like, suspenders or whatever, and he sticks his arm down and pulls out a catfish. I don't know how much of this we're going to keep in, because it's a l- long time of us just talking about animals. Maybe we'll keep it, we'll put it in at the end. It's a fun episode. Yeah. Okay, that's it, our <laughs> PILFs. Yeah, thanks for listening, PILFs. Thank, thank you, PILFs, for really tuning in on this one, especially at the end. Um, we know you guys love us so much, um, and that's why you guys are pilfs. Uh, yeah. So email us, like Grant said, email us a list of your favorite animals or birds or yeah, bugs. Yeah, and not only a list, but get really detailed. Like, yeah, why? Like where they live, what they eat, and that sort of thing. Like that, you know. And yeah, why you like them. And how you like them. And if we even to get eat. if we even get one email that's a fully detailed list of favorite animals, we will... We we Cry. can we can keep your name anonymous, but we will read it on an episode. Yeah, uh, just so uh, you know, the 
the email is exploringmiddleearthpod at gmail.com. So but of course you guys know that because you listened to the ad that yes. talked about it. And it's in the description. And it's in the description in the show notes. But in, yeah. the, in the notes of the show. So let us know your favorite animals. Let us know your favorite animals. Let us know. Uh, we want to know what all the pilfs like. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe cougars. <laughs> foxes. That was, yeah, that was supposed to be a joke. Okay, anyways, that's, what? Uh, that's it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.